Welcome to the Zonal Marking Podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Ali Maxwell. Today's agenda, goal scoring, goalkeepers. Possibly my favourite topic to date. But this isn't your simple, isn't it fun when goalies score a goal? No, no, this is serious. This is the Zonal Marking Podcast, after all. This is not a goal kick catching the wind and taking a wicked bounce over a hapless opposite number. This is not your team's custodian galloping forward for a late set piece. Gaffer, gaffer, can I go up? Can I go up? Before flicking a header inside the near post. No, these are goalkeepers who are also goal scorers. Not by luck, but by design or God-given talent. So Michael Cox is here, the Athletics' serious tactics and trends writer. And Michael, I see you've been writing about the serious topic of shirt numbers this week. Yeah, uh, the series is uh, about shirt numbers. Uh, it's something that a lot of us get annoyed about when you see a player wearing a wrong shirt number. But there's also some interesting tactical history about why certain positions wear certain numbers. Obviously, we started with the number one shirt and there was uh, a couple of interesting cases that uh, I thought might make for an interesting podcast. The number one shirt or the number zero one shirt. More on that later. Jack Lang is also in the studio. Hi, Jack. Hello, Ali. You're something of an expert on South American football, which is pretty apt for today's subject that really is the epicenter of goal scoring goalkeepers yeah I think there's something in the water down in that part of the world it's hard I think to differentiate between cause and effect when we talk about this thing these things but there's always a a mythic quality I think to South American football maybe particularly the way we consume it in Europe but it's certainly these bizarre kind of unicorn figures they do seem to pop up in South American football a lot more and looking down the list of the the people we're going to cover today there's a a massive South American flavour to it. There certainly is why do you think these guys and feel free to mention the names that we will discuss later on in more depth why do you think they are almost always South American players? It's a tricky question because the answer you that springs to mind that you want to give also <laughs> implies a slight lack of seriousness on the part of, of South American football. And, and it is that the coaches allow them to do it. I mean, for a start, some of these players looking down the list, uh, Chilavet is a great example, uh, is someone who a lot of his coaches said he had the talent to play outfield. Someone who always practiced free kicks, always practiced penalties, was a, was a fantastic technician, as were a lot of these guys, Seni, Higita. Uh, it's the fact that their coaches, I think, were, were willing to indulge them over a long period. And whereas a European goalkeeper might find himself pigeonholed, like, no, you are staying in goal. Uh, there's something in in the South American mindset that is just a little bit happier to, to take a few risks, to willing to indulge what Europeans might call unprofessionalism, but I would call panache. Do you go along with that, Michael? Jack's touched on it there. There is there is a talent requirement for a goal-scoring goalkeeper from a free kick or from a penalty of course but there are also footballing reasons logistical challenges maybe which is why we don't see it as a as a regular part of our modern game yeah it's the obvious question isn't it if your goalkeeper goes up and uh, you know penalties i think you can be relatively sure will go in the net but direct free kicks obviously creates a bit of a, a problem in terms of defending your own goal um so yeah there's there's been a couple of interesting examples we'll touch upon on that later. We thought that there's really a big four to touch on here. The guys will be going more in-depth on Rogerio Senni, of course, the record holder for a goal-scoring goalkeeper, over 100 goals, mostly from the penalty spot or free kicks, but, as we'll hear later, one from open play. Uh, you've mentioned Schillever, Jack, 
possibly the most mythical of all of these. We'll touch on him as well. Uh, Rene Higuita, not just the scorpion kicker, but also a goal scorer. And we'll start with Jorge Campos of Mexico. We have to start with him, Michael, because he is just extraordinary and his career is extraordinary for so many reasons, even if you leave aside those brightly coloured kits. Yeah, I mean, he was uh, an extraordinary character. And I think maybe the most interesting thing about him is he was a really top-class goalkeeper despite his height. Now, this has been something of a contentious issue According to the internet, he himself says he's five foot nine, although it's generally reported that he's five foot six, which I think is quite a big difference. Obviously, it's three inches, but uh, to give some comparison, five foot six is Bono's height. Five foot nine is Florence from Florence and the Machine's height. Now, I think of Bono as very small and Florence is very tall. So that's quite a big difference. But either way, five, six would be just a touch smaller than Messi, I think. Yes. And if you think of how small, slight Messi looks on the football pitch and you watch those Campos outfield highlights, he doesn't look quite that small. But it is, but it's kind of all by... It, it's all part of the, the mythical concept of Campos. Exactly. And when you consider that, for example, there was some debate at the World Cup a couple of years ago about whether Jordan Pickford was a little bit too short and I think Courtois said something along those lines. Uh, he's six foot one. So, you know, this is an incredibly... Short goalkeeper, but someone who got 130 caps for Mexico. Yes, there was an element of uh, he did occasionally switch to playing up front, but he was basically a, you know, a, a number one for his country for the best part of 15 years up against Oscar Perez, who's a very good goalkeeper, but it was usually Campos who got the nod. So, yeah, even without the goal scoring and the, uh, you know, the jerseys, um, he was uh, quite a remarkable, unique goalkeeper. Jack Michael just nonchalantly dropped in the phrase, you know, even though he did occasionally play up front. I mean, th that's the headline news here. Campos is not like some of the other guys who just took the pens and took some free kicks. He used to go up front in games where he started in goal. Yeah, what I would like to know from Michael is that in the course of reading this, this piece on the shirt numbers, Campos isn't just wearing the number one jersey. He's at times wearing the number nine. And certainly you look at all these other guys, as you said, Ali, even the ones that are, you know, renowned for trundling up the pitch, they do scamper back. It's always a scamper, I will add. That's pretty much what that word was invented for, I think. But I would love Michael to just give me a little bit of detail about the, the shirt number thing with Campos. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, an obvious issue, I suppose, because he was sometimes playing in goal and sometimes playing up front. So sometimes you'd find him playing up front with the number one shirt and sometimes in goal with the number nine shirt. I think I prefer him playing in goal with the number nine shirt because an outfielder wearing one just, it looks very, very strange. But I mean, he was a genuinely good forward. He started out um, playing his career for Pumas. He was, the backup goalkeeper was basically frustrated. He wasn't getting in the side. There was a couple of injuries and suspensions up front. So he said to his manager, look, I played up front as a kid, I can do a job here. So really his first full season, he played up front and scored 14 goals. That was very, very <laughs> selfless of him. And was his side's top goal scorer, which is, <laughs> which is remarkable. And then you, when you have this remarkable situation throughout his career where, I mean, he said his ideal game would be starting in goal and coming on up front for the second half. So he used to start wearing just a normal goalkeeper's jersey at halftime if the side was trailing. He put his outfield jersey on underneath his goalkeeper's jersey and then could whip it off and, and run up front. And obviously they bring on a, another goalkeeper. But I mean, there's some incredible clips of him in terms of, you know, displaying his, his outfield flair. The most famous moment, I think, is a bicycle kick that he scored away against Cruz Azul, uh, which was at the Azteca, obviously a legendary stadium where 
It was one of those games he started in goal, they made a sub, he went up front and he meets a right wing cross with an extraordinary bicycle kick. I mean, even by the standards of, you know, a proper number nine, it's kind of like a Batistuta-esque uh, overhead kick. It was incredible, but this was, you know, not entirely out of keeping with what he did throughout his career. It's worth saying your explanation there, Michael, about the, the conversation with the coach. That's something I think that unites all these cases. Some of what must be the best player coach conversations in football history. Like <laughs> a lot of these guys really had to state their cases. I would love to have been a fly on the wall for some of these chats. Campos saying, look, Gaffer, I'm actually pretty decent up front if you give me a run out. I think to have the, the chutzpah to do that takes a certain amount of confidence in your abilities, which all of these guys share. We want to talk about David James. We have to mention David James, even though unfortunately he didn't have the quality to score goals, but he did play up front. Uh, for a short period in one match under Stuart Pearce. But that conversation was almost the opposite. It, it was very much Pearce's brainchild, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, so he didn't tell David James about it until just before the game. Uh, he did have to tell other people about it, most notably the kit man, because the kit man had to <laughs> whip up a uh, an outfield shirt with James one on the back. So yeah, you had this incredible moment where, you know, City are, are chasing a winner. They needed a winner to qualify for the UEFA Cup. Um, that season and I mean God knows what Claudio Reina was thinking his side chasing a goal and he gets subbed off with Nicky Weaver coming on his place <laughs> and going in goal and James going up front um, he, he did cause a bit of chaos actually in, in good ways and bad gave away a couple of free kicks did cause enough confusion so that City won a penalty um, that's generous that he's he's at the back post I mean he was <laughs> at the back post yeah you're right and and the penalty was at the near post but uh, yeah I mean it it was a remarkable situation but again that's something that Campos really did on a regular basis and uh, another nice tie-in with Campos and with your piece on shirt numbers is that he played up front for Mexico in the Olympics in mm. 1996 but because of shirt number bureaucracy he was denied that opportunity to ever play up front in the world cup yeah i mean that's a slightly strange fifa ruling i think i mean now you uh, i mean it's been 23 man squad rather than 22 since 2002 three of those have to be a goalkeeper and you had this weird situation with north korea in 2010 where they tried to get around that by just picking an extra striker and fifa ruled that the goalkeepers had to play and go. I mean, there's actually nothing in the laws of the game to say that. The goalkeeper has to be in a different jersey. But if you want to switch, then you can. And I don't really see a good reason why you shouldn't be able to. So I do feel slightly sorry for Campos in uh, in that respect. We're talking mostly, Michael, about goal-scoring goalkeepers. But when you've got the, the technical quality, maybe there's some creative benefits to having a goalkeeper like this as well. Yeah, so it wasn't just about the goal scoring. There was also a couple of really interesting assists. Um, two that I'd pick out in completely different ways. Um, one was for, in fact, they were both for LA Galaxy, but one was while he was playing in goal and one while he was playing up front. So the one while he was playing in goal, he came to catch a cross, kind of pushed it to the edge of the box and then did the classic kind of playground thing of just chucking the ball in front of him, dribbling to the halfway line and then slipping in uh, Eduardo Hurtado, the Ecuadorian forward who went forward and scored. The other more spectacular one is when he's playing as an outfielder and he gets the ball in inside left channel and produces... I think it's called a rainbow flick these days, you know, kind of like putting the ball between your feet and flicking it up over your head and over the head of the defender. Um, the and then, JJ Acocha yeah, for yeah, Premier League much. historians, the, yes. the Neymar at Santos exactly. for the younger generation. So he did a defender like that and then crossed for the striker to put the ball into the net. And again, 
if that was just any winger or any forward, it would go viral in this day and age and have thousands and thousands of retweets and likes and everything. But this is a goalkeeper who'd switched up front to do it. I mean, I don't think it's unfair to say that he's probably one of the most underrated footballers in recent history. I think we consider him almost a novelty character, but you know, very few people have specialised in two completely contrasting elements of the game. And he was a, you know, a very intelligent, interesting guy. He became an assistant manager to Ricardo Lavolpe, who was in charge of Mexico about 10 years ago now. I mean, Lavolpe was, in South America, is considered one of the most influential and uh, original and innovative managers of his generation. Little things like, you know, the way teams play out by dropping a midfielder back in. Often those ideas are credited, uh, credited to Lavolpe. So he wasn't going to hire someone who's just a kind of novelty character to be his assistant he was a serious football guy and i gather now a pretty good analyst on uh, mexican tv we love jorge campos but it's time to move on to another incredible name when we're talking about goal scoring goalkeepers jose luis Chilaver and jack lang you have also written like Michael and, and, and Jorge Campos, quite the primer on Chilavere on the Athletic site back in November. He, for me personally, was the goal-scoring goalkeeper growing up in the 90s. What was it that captured the imagination so much, do you think, about Chilavere? I think the first thing I would say, it's just that face. <laughs> you look at some of the other guys in this list and they are, let's be honest, they're a bit geeky, a bit dorky. Rogerio Senni is definitely a, kind of a, a supply teacher <laughs> gone rogue, isn't he? Whereas you look at Gilavan, he, he's just, he's just a bad guy. Mm. And he's admitted this himself. This is, you know, something that he, he has taken ownership of. He said, with a face like mine, how could I play anything other than the villain? And especially in those early days when he's kind of emerging in, in Paraguay, he wears a shirt with a bulldog on it. So I think just visually, there's something very intriguing about this man. And he's also very heavy set. He's a, you know, he's got a henchman's build. And just for him to be a professional footballer at first glance looks a bit weird because he's, he's a big old guy. He's kind of got these, you know, the bulldog's an appropriate image because as his career goes on, he's almost got these kind of like neck rolls. He's chunky. And yet release him on a dead ball and he's explosive. He's very, very much a power over precision kind of uh, dead ball expert. That's how most of his goals came. I think some of the other guys, Senny is a, a really interesting uh, contrast because he's all about technique and mm. placement. Chilovet's free kicks, they, they're just blasted. You know, he, probably the most famous one is scored for, for Villa's Sarsfield against River Plate and it's from halfway and it all builds into the myth with him and apparently, you know, the, the apocryphal story goes that he, during his run-up, so the ref gives a, a free kick in the middle of the park and he basically just steams up from his own goal, shouts at the referee, get down or I'll kill you. <laughs> <laughs> and then just hammers it into the net. Uh, that may be complete nonsense. In fact, I'm, you know, I, I probably lean more towards it being made up than real. But isn't it a great story? And I think that is what Chilovet is. You look at him and you think what's this guy all about? And then get out of his way. Yeah. Or... And he's just a madman in the best possible way. And everything that surrounds Chilavet, I'm sure you wanted to ask me this, but I'll go on to it anyway. It all kind of blends together beautifully because he is a bad guy. He's, he's a grudge holder. He makes horrible challenges. There's a red card early in his career and it, it makes that Tony Schumacher 
challenge looked like a hug. And, you know, he, he punched Tino Espria. He spat at Roberto Carlos. All of this stuff, just it's just a pure character. You couldn't make him up if, if he didn't exist. Was he any good as a goalkeeper? <laughs> well, that, that's certainly secondary, isn't it? But for this piece, I did. I spoke to Carlos Bianchi, who managed him uh, at Velez Sarsfield with, with great success. And he insisted that actually, you know, for all the goals, for all the explosions of his of his dead balls he was actually a very solid goalkeeper certainly um i mean we've just talked about campos campos is springy and light chilevet is is not that at all he's statuesque he's chunky but uh bianchi said his positioning was excellent he had very safe hands so he might not i mean you look at him and it's no surprise he's not perhaps plucking the ball out of the top corner three times a match but he didn't let any uh, shots spill he was someone who was uh, reliable and of course had a really strong presence so I think he th- there was a fear factor with him that probably made his penalty area more sovereign than any other penalty area for any other goalkeeper so I think you know, probably not a, uh, a highlights real goalkeeper in his own penalty area, but certainly someone who you could depend on. And Bianchi said he was basically a 12th man having him in the team because he had that leadership, that presence. It's interesting to know how these goal scoring keepers were formed. I touched on it at the top, some by God given talent, some by design. Shinovair compared to some of the others, was something of a, a late starter when it came to scoring. Yeah, that's right. That's one of the, the real quirks of his career. So he ended up with, with 62 goals. And yet the first nine years of his career, he didn't score one. So he made his debut at, at 15. It was a, a league winner soon after in Paraguay with Guarani. But his first goal didn't come until 1989 for Paraguay, a penalty. And even then, it didn't exactly start a landslide. The the following five years, I think there are only three more goals. So essentially, he's got to halfway through his career and he's really only experimenting with it. And then he moved to Zaragoza in Spain and it was one of his formative experiences. And I, I suppose the thing that kind of curtailed his myth in Europe. So he he scored a free kick for, for Zaragoza and then was so busy celebrating that he didn't get back in time for, for the opposition team, Real Sociedad, to to kick off, they kind of played a, a short pass sideways and Jean-Andoni Goikachea just basically lofted the ball in from the centre circle. And it didn't actually matter because uh, it was a consolation goal and a 2-1 win. But I think it it certainly, uh, well, it, it gave him a bad name really with his manager and the fans. After that, the fans would boo every time he went forward and basically screamed to him to get back. So I think from that point, it was clear that those antics weren't really going to fly in, in uh, European football in Spain. But then he goes back to South America, to Argentina, and that's really where the, the goals start flowing. It's 48 in eight years for Velez, which is just incredible. And there, you know, there are obviously penalties are plenty, but a fair, a fair number of absolute cannon shot free there, kicks. There must be, like, think about, think about what it is for a goalkeeper to take a free kick and think about what it is for a goalkeeper to hit the wall. I mean, the... <laughs> The risks involved are pretty significant. Um, but Schilleberg's not, potentially because he started late, he doesn't threaten Senny for goals scored. But I think he is the only goalkeeper to score a hat-trick. Yes, I think so. Certainly in a, an established league. So this was in the, in the Argentine league. He scored three penalties, each kind of more violent than the last one. <laughs> and what I loved about it, like just 
the complete lack of celebration is really what makes this. So, he, you know, he's, the guy's just scored a hat trick. He's a goalkeeper and he, he walks back as if he's, you know, just been down the butchers or something. It's incredible <laughs> nonchalance to him. And yeah, the I old mean, walk home from the butchers. I know the one. Yeah, <laughs> we've all done it. Uh, yeah, just an, an amazing achievement, really. And obviously you can say, oh, hat trick's only, it's only a hat trick of penalties, but it's a goalkeeper and it's a hat trick. I think that's pretty special. Yeah, Martin Palermo would uh, would be the first to say it's not as simple as that. Um, <laughs> Rene Higuita, Michael, is not as angry, I don't think, as Chilavert. Uh, and he's known really in English terms for the scorpion kick performed against England. But I think it really went under my own radar as well before starting to research this topic. He had an exceptional goals record as well. Yeah, I mean, he was an incredible goalkeeper for many reasons. We actually spoke about him before when we uh, did the podcast about Maturana with Carl. He really revolutionized goalkeeping in South America in terms of being a sweeper-keeper. Um, he didn't score as many goals as Campos or Chilever or Seni, but I think as a as a footballing goalkeeper, he was probably the most advanced. But yeah, he was also uh, capable of scoring a few. He scored 41 goals, um, the vast majority of them penalties. He curiously also scored a free kick against River Plate. Not quite as famous as the Chilever one, but probably more meaningful. It was the uh, the winner in the first leg of a Copa Libertadores semi-final, uh, 1995, so only one year before Chilever's effort. And it was, uh, I mean, Jack talks about Chilever hammering the ball. Higuita had a lot of grace and finesse. It was, I mean, this free kick in particular was uh, kind of his instep curled around the wall in off the bar. It was absolutely beautiful free kick um and yeah he's known more for like you say the scorpion kick maybe for that error against uh cameroon roger miller in 1990 but yeah, he's uh, probably the preeminent dribbling goalkeeper as well yes absolutely but um yeah was another one who's capable of scoring 41 goals isn't a bad return and he's also the only one of these goalkeepers who scored at international level as well um he scored three times for colombia uh, all penalties, to be fair. But uh, he also had a, quite a wide range of penalties. There was a lot of blasted efforts. But there was also uh, a couple of Penenkas in his time. And just seeing a goalkeeper doing a Penenka is great because, you know, there's the whole thing about the goalkeeper's union and Penenka's like, sometimes disrespectful. Higuita didn't care about that. He would happily embarrass the other goalkeeper with a chip, often into the top corner, actually. So, yeah, there's a compilation video of all his uh, goals, like I say, most of them penalties on YouTube, but it's worth checking out. There is an interesting aspect to uh, sort of what you've just touched on there as well, where certainly I think I'm right in saying in, in English terms, when there's been a goal scored by a goalkeeper, I've definitely heard the goal scorer say, I didn't want to celebrate because it could have happened to me. I don't want to embarrass you know, someone who I've got an affinity with because we're these wacky goalkeepers that get put to one side. These guys we're talking about, Jack, generally not too fussed, it's fair to say, about goalkeepers' union not celebrating scoring against another goalkeeper. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, for example, Chilavert didn't often see himself as a goalkeeper even. I mean, he, I spoke to Gus Poyet for this piece who played with him in Spain. He said, in training, Chilavert would not go in goal, essentially. He'd play up front in 90% of training sessions. Amazing. So maybe that kind of uh, solidarity that we talk about the, in, in the goalkeeper's union cliche, maybe that didn't exist or maybe perhaps not as strong because these guys, uh, a lot of them saw themselves 
as footballers first and foremost, and perhaps the the goalkeeping aspect of it was just one part of their their footballing identity rather than the defining aspect. And talk to me about the number one, the top ever goal scoring goalkeeper, Rogerio Senni, scored all of his goals for the same team for Sao Paulo. Talk me through his goal scoring exploits. Yeah, I think when we talk about Senni, we probably see him as the least uh, showy of these players. Certainly when we were growing up for our generation, I would say he was the least famous of these four, but obviously the most prolific. He was very precise, very, uh, I think, studious in the way he went about things. He's now actually a very uh, promising coach and he's seen in Brazil as a real uh, thinker, a student of the game, was always that way. So he came through at Sao Paulo and he was the understudy to Zeti, the Brazilian goalkeeper, and his chance really came when when Zeti left. And he was a pretty consistent scorer throughout. Scored, I think, uh, 61 free kicks, so nearly half of his goals were free kicks, which I think is the mm. probably the standout statistic. So Chilever, by contrast, he was uh, penalties made up the majority of his goals, but Senni was a, a real free kick uh, genius, really. And it was... Very rarely power. It was usually a two or three step run up. Not very graceful, actually. Not particularly stylish to look at. Kind of, you could almost see his brain whirring sometimes, the angles and the the momentum. But the frequency with which he put it in the top corner was was staggering, really. I saw him live a couple of times. Uh, I think it was the first time I went to Brazil. I stayed with a friend in Sao Paulo. We went to see, went to the Morumbi Stadium, and the level of expectation when Sao Paulo got a free kick and Senni would just dally up the pitch. He, he was the kind of player who seemed to be old even when he was 20. I mean, he was kind of born with a receding hairline and he he's not a naturally exciting uh, kind of player, at least in terms of his personality. But he made up for that with just absolute uh, ruthlessness. And he was also a very good goalkeeper, firstly with his feet. In common with the other guys we've talked about, he was great at playing out from the back, a real calming presence. But with his hands as well, he was uh, nominated the best player in the whole of Brazil in 2008, made the team of the year six times. I mean, only Zico has done that more in the history of Brazilian football. And that's not, you know, that's not something you achieve only through the novelty value of scoring. Yet at the same time, I mean, the value of these goals. I mean, in 2005, he was their top scorer. <laughs> and again, the season later. So, and he's like, how old is he at this stage? 30? Because he yeah, played he, on so long. Yeah, he's in his 30s. And he was, he'd certainly extended his career, I think, beyond what a lot of people expect. He was very good at keeping himself fit for a start, which helped. He was very consistent presence. And yeah, the latter stages of his career, which was the, the part I observed more closely, he just seemed to, yeah kind of be doggedly chipping away, kind of edging that number higher, perhaps just to make sure no one could ever really touch it. It's going to, it's going to be some achievement, I think, if anyone manages to overhaul that 131 goals. He also got assists, got eight assists, uh, mainly through free kicks whipped in. And yeah, the one name that stands out in his story is, for me, it's the one Sao Paulo boss who didn't let him go forward to take free kicks. So his whole time at the club played, you know, 1,200 games and... Only one, who's called Mario Sergio, basically had a, had a chat with him and said, look, we've got other free kick takers, Ruggiero. Um, really don't need you to be no. doing this. And he's Even. Yeah. And 
obviously that didn't go down very well. This this coach spoke about it uh, in hindsight years later and said, well, actually, yeah, Rogério took it quite well. He said he understood he's an intelligent guy. And then the interview said, yeah, but looking back, was that an area? Like, oh, yeah, absolutely. She, you know, the guy was a genius and he got absolute pelters for not letting him go. And I think every coach after that, that was, that was 1998, knew that the fans would not be happy in, unless Rogério was taking free kicks. Michael, Jack described Senny as a substitute teacher but he had some sort of flair and it comes back to shirt numbers again he 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 got a little creative with what he wore on the back of his top yeah from 2007 onwards he wore the zero one shirt uh, which i believe originated when sao paulo didn't have a number 10 and uh, he decided to create i think what he said was an optical illusion <laughs> by inverting the number 10 shirt that is um, so geeky come on yeah the good thing is that on his retirement in 2015, South Paulo retired the, the zero one shirt that no one else had ever worn. So goalkeepers can still <laughs> wear number one, but not zero one. He has uh, inspired a couple of others. Ciara goalkeeper Everson wore zero one when he was there. He's now at Santos. Um, he actually scored a free kick against Corinthians in uh, 2018. And it almost feels like to earn that zero one shirt, you should have to score a free kick. Otherwise, you're not imitating Seni uh, appropriately enough. He is our record holder and it's not just for goals as well because at, at the back end of his career having played for so long he was recognised by the Guinness World Records for most goals scored by a goalkeeper of course but also number of games played for the same club and number of times as captain and then later on uh, he broke Ryan Giggs's record for most wins at a single club. He's also or certainly upon his retirement was in Sao Paulo's top 10 all-time goal scorers list so this truly is something special. He's also a World Cup winner, uh, not hugely involved in the 2002 World Cup win, but was in the squad, was uh, was there maybe giving some tips to some of the set-piece takers, uh, an important part of that World Cup win behind the scenes, I'm absolutely sure. Uh, there are a few other goal-scoring goalkeepers, Michael, and they're not all South American, uh, the likes of Vincent Enyema, who scored a lot of goals in Nigeria and some for Hapoel Tel Aviv uh, as well. Although never for Nigeria in 100 plus international caps. I feel like we're missing an international goal scorer here, which is a bit of a blow. Who are some of the other uh, names that crop up when you're researching this topic? Well, the four we've mentioned have four of the top five places in the uh, all-time goal-scoring list for goalkeepers. The exception is uh, Dimitar Ivankov, who played for Bulgaria. Um, I think the most interesting... I mean, these are all penalties, I should say. There weren't any free kicks. But maybe the most interesting thing is in the 2008 Turkish Cup final, he was playing for Kayseri Sport against uh, Gençli Beligi. Uh, and this was a goalless draw, uh, went to extra time and then penalties. And because he was the first choice penalty taker, not only did he save three penalties, he scored two penalties because he scored the first of them. And then it was still, uh, the scores were level after all 11 players from either side had taken them. So he took a second one. So to save three and score two penalties in the same shootout must be a unique achievement in world football. Jack, Johnny Vegas Fernandez. He's interesting because he was largely overlooked by Peru and he got three caps, I think, played until his 40s. But he averaged a goal every 12 games, which seems, you know, a remarkably good hit rate. Not obviously as famous as some of the other names, but definitely the best actual name 
on the list. And Michael, there is one who did it in a top European league, Hans Jorg, but he also suffered a similar fate to Chilever at Zaragoza. There is a very famous clip of him scoring a penalty. It's not even that he takes too long celebrating, really. He just takes ages to get back to his goal and the opposition take the uh, kickoff too quickly for him, lob him, and his goal is immediately cancelled out. But he stands out as the European goal scorer. Yeah, definitely was, you know, quite famous for that early in his career. And you almost forgot about it later on. I mean, he went to Bayern. He was playing there in uh, 2010 when they won the double and nearly won the treble, lost to Inter in the Champions League final. And we weren't talking about him as kind of a novelty penalty-taking specialist at that point. He was just uh, Germany's best goalkeeper. Um, And I think that's probably, if there's a common theme between these goal-scoring goalkeepers, it's that they were actually really good players. I mean, you look at the records of these guys. Seni got 16 Brazil caps. Chilever, 74 for Paraguay. Campos, 130 for Mexico. Ivankov, 64 for Bulgaria. Higita, 68 for Colombia. These are serious footballing nations. If you are anything less than a very, very competent goalkeeper, you won't play. It's just not worth having a free kick or penalty taking specialist in your team if you're going to concede goals. But you know, we're not omitting anyone from this all-time goal-scoring list. There isn't someone who's in the second division but also had this kind of trick in their locker. These were, you know, goalkeepers who had proven themselves. And I think probably if you're going to do that, you've got to be, you're going to be open to more scrutiny than anyone else. And they were all very solid in goal. One thing Bianchi told me when we were talking about Chilever was that for all the, the highlight reel stuff, he was, in essence, a great goalkeeper with the ball at his feet. And he, Bianchi actually said that he saw... Chilevere. And I think the same applies to the other names here as, as really a pioneer, a trendsetter and someone whose style has been replicated by the kind of play out from the back goalkeepers we see today, you know, Edison, Allison. I, I don't think that's necessarily the first thing you would think of with some of these guys, uh, largely because of, you know, we see their goal scoring exploits with, you know, a, a pinch of salt and we, we see it as a bit of fun largely, but you look at the way these guys constructed play from the back. And I think there's certainly a, a, a bit of truth in what Bianchi says there. And Michael, a part of the narrative about ball playing goalkeepers so important in possession is the old classic, well, if you stuck him in central midfield, I'm sure he'd still do a job. It's what people say about Edison and about Allison. And there we go, the, the two goalkeepers that we pick out as being the best technically in the Premier League Brazilian goalkeepers, would they also, do you think, be the most likely to to hit a set piece out of the, the modern goalkeepers that you can think of at the top of the game? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, I think Edison's very interesting because his ball striking is exceptional. I mean, he can arrow 60, 70, 80 yard passes downfield. And I think, I mean, this is maybe going slightly off topic, but I think it's interesting that Guardiola looked for someone like that. It wasn't just someone who can play the ball comfortably under pressure, 15, 20 yards at someone who can arrow the ball downfield and start attacks in a much quicker fashion than we've become accustomed to for Guardiola sides. I believe I've read somewhere that Edison is actually very keen to score at some stage. So it wouldn't surprise me in a, you know, the latter stages of a, a League Cup game or something like that with a result already safe. It wouldn't surprise me at all to see Edison score one day. And sadly, in a way, all the names that we've discussed today playing days very much in the past, Jack. And I don't want this to become something that is left in the past. Are there any heirs to the throne here? Anyone playing in goal and scoring goals in South America that you know of today? 
I can give you a couple of Brazilians who are actually approaching retirement. I think they're both in their 30s, but they've been in the kind of semi-mold during their careers. One is called Márcio, who I think has scored 30 or 40 goals in Brazil's first, second divisions. Pretty good goalkeeper and and very good uh, from dead ball situations. And the other is called Wilson, who hasn't scored as many, but pops up every now and again with a with a real beauty. But... Yeah, as far as I know, I mean, I'm I'm still scanning around for someone to really take on the mantle, and I, I'd be very disappointed if this ends here. Yeah, another name people might be familiar with, uh, Kendi Mawini, who uh, was the goalkeeper for Zambia during that incredible, unlikely, very emotional AFCON triumph in 2012. At the following year's AFCON, uh, he scored the equaliser against Nigeria from the penalty spot. Um, he also scored the following year in AFCON 2015 qualifying. And once again, I mean, this is an incredibly talented goalkeeper, someone who's actually a very good saver of penalties as well. Had 121 caps for Zambia, the most in their history. Again, this is a proper footballing nation. AFCON winners in uh, in 2012. They're not going to use someone there and allow him to take penalties unless he's, uh, you know, top class between the posts. Brilliant. Okay, well, still going on in various parts of the game, even if potentially none to match the big names that we've discussed on this podcast, Campos, Shilaver, Higita, Tseni. I'm afraid, listener, that your YouTube suggestions are going to be completely ruined for the next few months. It's purely going to be South American goal-scoring goalkeepers, and I tell you that from experience. But we hope you've enjoyed this Zonal Marking podcast brought to you by The Athletic. And we were part of the initial uh, stable of Athletic podcasts, but there are more that have been released to start the year. Some of them club-specific podcasts, but also a German football pod with Rafa Honigstein, Adam Hurry's football cliches brought to audio life with the wonderful Caroline Barker, a fantasy football offering, and arguably most excitingly, a football league podcast going up, going down. And it says on my notes here, it's hosted by George Ellick and Ali Maxwell. So that one sounds decent if you're interested in all things EFL. That's it from us today. We'll be back again next week with a fresh new topic. Michael Cox, thank you very much for joining me. My pleasure. And Jack, great to have you back on the pod. Cheers, Ali. We shall be thinking of other South American themed topics to go through with you in the future, no doubt. Uh, If you have enjoyed this podcast, if you would like to see what Jack and Michael have got up their sleeves on paper, well, The Athletic is the place to read all of their articles and so many more great football writers. If you haven't subscribed yet, but you'd like to give it a go, theathletic.co.uk forward slash zonal marking. That's all one word, zonal marking. We'll see you get 40% off your annual subscription. Uh, Give it a go today and join us next week on the Zonal Marking Podcast.